Glory to Jesus Christ, and welcome to the 14th episode of Encountering the Trinity. I'm your host, Steve Nichols, and joining me, as always, is Father Phil. Father Phil, how are you today? Greetings, Steve. Well, I'm, um, uh, I'm able to record today uh, on my knees here in the chapel of the Newman Center at the University of Saint L- University of Missouri in St. Louis. Um, I've been associated with the Newman House here for a couple of years now since coming to St. Louis, and the chapel is free today. So hopefully God will give us a little extra grace and make our, uh, make our mission a little clearer to people today. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Clarity is always a, a good thing and a gift of the Holy Spirit. So um, speaking of the Holy Spirit, uh, do you mind starting us out with a prayer? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, nothing bears fruit in our lives unless it is inspired and carried through by your Holy Spirit. We ask for this gift as Steve and I speak with each other today, and we ask your Holy Spirit, which is bound by neither time nor space, to communicate our love for you, inspire in us first a love for you, And then through that same Holy Spirit, carry this love to those who may listen to this and through them to all those that they know in the world. We ask you to bless our listeners, bless this ministry if it be your will, and teach us to be ever more receptive instruments of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, let's see... um... I guess, first of all, I'd like to remind our listeners that um, we do have a website, and we can be found at EncounteringTheTrinity.com. And from there, you can actually find links to our Twitter page and Facebook, and also how to find us on iTunes. And um, if you do happen to listen uh, via the iTunes uh, store the, um, that you can pull up and download our podcast on, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review you can actually go on there and uh, rate us as, I think, one through five stars and uh, then also leave some comments that help other uh, potential listeners uh, kind of, you know, figure out what we're all about. Um, you can, you know, give an opinion or uh, some constructive criticism, whatever it may be, but we welcome that. And then the cool thing is, is the more reviews that we get for the podcast, the more exposure we get for the podcast. So. Um, if you wouldn't mind helping us out there, that would be much appreciated. And Father Phil, last week, well, for the past two weeks, I mean, it's actually more like three because of a little bit of a delay in posting the last podcast, um, we've been discussing what it means to be in Christ. And I'll say from my own standpoint, this is something that's very, in, in some sense, very new to me, although I've been a Catholic for about eight and a half years now. And I've even mentioned to you how uh, how difficult it is for me to transition from world one world and into another, and really out of one uh, a, a different community into another. Um, and that's something that I wanted to, I guess, ask you today because we've been speaking a little bit of what Luther and Calvin thought of, uh, of what it meant to be in Christ, and how they had. Uh, misconstrued that, and um, we're trying to bring something back, uh, or so they thought, in in, in an improper way. But um, what does it mean, or I should say, on a a practical level, um, for our listeners and for myself, um, 
when we say in Christ, what, first of all, what does how does one come into Christ? Um, from my understanding, it's uh, baptism, but I, I'll let you go into detail and and correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, what what does that look like for myself and for our listeners when someone would say, "Well, I'd like to be in Christ, but first I need to come into Christ." So, yeah, you're right, Steve. Uh, from you know, from an objectively Catholic standpoint, and I think I was making the point last time that even. Albert Schweitzer, the the Protestant uh, physician, of course, but also a scripture scholar who first began to shake up the Protestant world by saying that St. Paul meant something much different and much more both personal and sacramental than uh, his Protestant forebearers had taken Paul to mean. Um, when he shook that up, he said that uh, being in Christ for Paul was effected or made real by sacramental baptism. And for those Protestants who do not see baptism uh, as a mystery of regeneration, but rather a symbolic uh, acknowledgement that you're now a member of the Christian fellowship, for those non-Catholics, and even for those like the Lutherans and Anglicans, maybe more the Lutherans than the Anglicans, but um, uh, who believe in regenerational baptism, they still tend to understand it less ontologically or less deeply, less truly, less really, less as effecting a real, absolute uh supernatural change in the human person, they still tend to interpret it far in far less realistic terms than St. Paul, according to Schweitzer, and according to this new perspective on Paul, than Paul himself meant. And while it has always been the traditional Catholic understanding that baptism objectively makes a person an adopted and therefore assimilated child of God in the triune life of God. It is also true that most Catholics, while they do believe that that happens in baptism, all you have to do is attend a baptismal liturgy and watch the, uh, watch the glazed look on people's faces as those passages from Paul where he says, do you not know that in your baptism you die with Christ and likewise you will partake of his resurrection? Uh, even though uh, Catholics uh, you know, know that, I suppose, at some level, though increasingly less today, but for those Catholics who understand that, no more than any Protestant do they really grasp, or should I say are grasped by, the truly mystical, realistic, and supernatural sense that St. Paul intended those words to convey. In other words, to be in Christ, Steve, for Paul, was a more realistic statement, a more literal statement, even than saying Jesus Christ lived in Nazareth in the flesh. In other words, for Paul, he saw even our fleshly existence as a, um, as a manifestation of a deeper uh, communion with the persons of the Trinity. And that faith for Paul was a personal assent 
to a realization that Jesus was died and risen from the dead and present among us. And it's in, now I'm babbling a little bit, I'm drifting off. I'd maybe take a step back here and simply say that for Paul, uh, and, uh, um, life in Christ and insertion into the very person of Jesus was a real thing, more real than the things we see in the empirical world. Um, uh, that that took place at that takes place at baptism. That's why he himself was baptized immediately after his conversion. Um, and so it's a uh, baptism for Paul and being in Christ for Paul is no metaphorical or romantic notion. It's a soberly realistic idea he has. And yet at the same time, as you allude to in your question, it's very difficult to get our hands around what that can mean. What would it mean for something to be more real than concrete existence? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, definitely In other hard words, for us to understand. Just as you, as a former Protestant, try to, you know, Protestant theology tries to work in a certain sense, uh, certain forms of Protestantism would deny this, but in a certain sense, uh, Protestantism uh, operates within the framework of the human reason. And so if I can't understand it or it doesn't make sense at the psychological level, it's presumed not to exist. And so I try to mount the ladder to heaven through my own ideas of God and certain mental gymnastics that I'm engaged in as if I can go from certain scriptural passages strung together using a certain kind of logic and arrive at a doctrine of redemption and an understanding of that redemption that will redeem me. Yeah, That's kind that, of a uh, bottom-up yeah. attempt to get to God. Yeah, one thing that I'm, I'm kind of realizing is, is I enter into this and, and truly try to understand what it means to be in Christ and therefore to, to, to be uh, Catholic, uh, to be Orthodox. Um, uh, and I guess the, the way I used to look at Christianity as a whole and the way I tried to attempt Christianity, uh, was trying to, it, it was more of a mental, uh, uh, game of more Gnostic in a sense, because it was me trying to bring myself into position of believing particular doctrines um, and seeing as that that is what it means that that's what it means to be a Christian is to accept intellectually and hopefully with my heart accept particular do doctrines or beliefs or teachings and that is what primarily made me um, a Christian or you know a Catholic even even uh, you know my several years as a Catholic and and Verses of you that I'm now starting to see, and correct me if I'm wrong, but and not to say that doctrine and dogma, uh, the teachings of of Christ are uh, and the Church are not important. Obviously, they are, but primarily what I'm seeing now and, and kind of getting from our conversation is that be, living in Christ and coming into Christ, it, it's being brought into a culture, into a community, primarily first of the Most Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then through Christ into his 
into his mystical body, which is the church. And so it's primarily one not of me assenting to particular uh, doctrines that brings me into the church, but me being mystically through baptism brought into a particular community and a particular culture that's a lived tradition that's been passed down and, and lived. It's it's alive. It's not just something on a piece of paper. It's 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 a it's a mystical thing that I'm being brought into and then have to enculturate myself and live in. Um, and so it's very organic. Um, and not that again, doctorates are part of that, but they're more like boundaries to that instead of uh, instead of it being a primarily a, a mental uh, gymnastics of me assenting to certain things. That's not the the primary. Uh, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but am I making any sense at all? <laughs> no, you're making total sense. In fact, there's so much to say off of what you said. I, you know, we we I, I want you know both of us want our listeners to understand that whenever we mention non-Catholic Christians of the Protestant denomination, um, you were a convert yourself. Uh, my, some of my closest friends are non-Catholic ministers, so I hope by, by we, we use the non-Catholic world by, by way of contrast, hopefully not in a caricatured way or a straw man kind of a way, uh, uh, because I have enormous respect for the, for the truth that is to be found in all the denominations of Protestantism. People wouldn't be willing to give their lives for their denomination or be so passionately involved if, if they weren't uh, possessed of a certain truth and, and clinging to that truth because it gives them eternal life. There's no doubt in any in either of our minds that that's the case. Yeah, amen. By the same token, heresy is defined as latching on to one truth at the expense of the others, and that's why Catholicism is a, is a seamless garment of infinitely integrated truths every one of which leads to every other one of which. Um, and so we do this by point of contrast, not by point of criticism or critique or condemnation. That being said, uh, there is a book, Steve, and I'm blocking on the author's first name, but his last name is Lee. I want to say Gordon Lee, but I don't think that's exactly it, because there's a Gordon Fee out there. But this is Someone Lee, I, I'm sorry I can't remember his first name, but the title of the book is Against the Protestant Gnostics, and he himself is a Calvinist, and he, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has since become a Catholic, um, because he also, uh, in his book, notices that Paul's language and the entire language of the New Testament is inherently liturgical and sacramental but that there is no point of entree into Christ in liturgical or sacramental means in the Protestant world. Entree into Christ is about making a mental assent to a proposition that a person believes grants them eternal security. And he says nothing could be further either from the New Testament evidence uh, or what is re in reality the case. And yet I don't think he himself comes to a point of regenerational baptism. And as you were describing your own journey, it is the dawning realization that to be in Christ is to come out of my own mind and enter into a river of tradition 
that involves a whole communion of saints and many thousands of years of a shared liturgical practice and a shared liturgical belief. But even that, that, that community that I'm coming into, I am coming into the church, but the thing that is almost impossible for a non-Catholic to grasp, and even some Catholics to, to fully understand and appreciate, is the fact that that community that they are coming into, that tradition that they are entering into through this liturgical mysterious rite of baptism, is actually the person of Jesus himself, you see. Yeah, because yeah, for a Catholic, uh, I heard a great talk yesterday on the uh, priesthood of the laity, and this priest made this point, quoting one of the church fathers. He said, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Alpha without us, but it has pleased him not to be the Omega without us. In other words, mm -hmm. for St. Paul and for the Catholic, Christ is, for St. Paul, Jesus is more really present today in his resurrected life, which also includes every member of his corporate body known as the church. He has nuptially united himself to those for whom he died and shed his blood in such a way that they now actually constitute an indispensable component, not only, uh, well, of, of his identity, both as God and as man, or better put, as the God-man. And so Jesus has united his church, which he called his bride and his um, his bride and his um, and we call it our mother, but he calls the church his bride. And just as marriage is an image of Christ's union with the church, the image for Saint Paul, and that's why he uses that language in Ephesians five. Marriage, the one flesh union of marriage, they become one flesh. What God has united, man must not divide. That one flesh union, which is the most intimate, real association of two persons sharing DNA and, um, and, and bodily fluids together, producing a separate human life, that realistic one flesh union is, according to St. Paul, less real, i.e. a symbol, an intimation, an image, a picture, an icon, of the more real one flesh union that Jesus, through his paschal mystery, has effected or made real with the members of his corporate body known as the Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the assembly of those baptized believers gathered around the Eucharist, assimilated into him, not just spiritually, but even physically. And that's why we say baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation all go together as the mysteries of initiation. Translation, as the mysteries of incorporation into the very person of Christ, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and supernaturally. And so we become so one with him that he no longer even calls himself Jesus without including us and meaning us as constituent elements of his body. 
not just as not just in a metaphorical way, but it's rather the one flesh union of man and woman is the metaphor for the reality of our connectivity with Christ as literal, physical, real, more real than anything else you could ever see in this world, members of his very self. And that's the, that's the anterior or beginning mystery for St. Paul. He operates out of that context. So when you come to it as a Protestant or a Catholic who doesn't know his faith, or even a very sincere neoconservative Catholic for whom baptism is a rite of objective incorporation into Christ, they still may not appreciate the deeply personal and heartfelt sense with which Christ has united himself to such an extent that he can, Jesus himself can no longer, he doesn't any longer present himself to his Father without us being a part of what the Father sees. So our salvation consists in being seen and loved by the Father because we are now, through God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, constituent elements of the very person of Jesus. And this is dimly hinted at in that phrase that is bandied about but not profoundly appreciated, the mystical body of Christ. Mystical mm -hmm. there does not mean ethereal, wispy, or unreal. It <laughs> yeah. means more real than the reality of the one flesh union of a physical human marriage. So I know I'm rambling again, but uh, one can only ramble and stammer when you realize that this is the person of Jesus that St. Paul knew. Yeah, this, I... this Jesus that includes you, me, and Paul is far more real to Paul than the Jesus who walked the face of the earth as a singular human being. Yeah, that's um, uh, painting a good picture of uh, I think it was the road to Emmaus that the they didn't under they didn't know who he was until the breaking of the bread, um, you know, and and then and then the interesting thing is then Jesus disappears. He he I think he. You know, went somewhere else, and and so they that just showing that they they could not fully uh, by him staying there, remaining there. If he had after the breaking of the bread, it would have almost hurt their ability to fully know him in who he is. You know, um, and one of the things I guess I'd I'd like to point out that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Father Phil, but I, I something something just occurred to me that I'm kind of seeing here that. From a, again, from a practical standpoint, I think it's really interesting how Christ uses baptism, uh, a a a, mis, a mystery, um, to bring us into relationship, into incorporate incorporate us into Him, and that it isn't something that I have to, um, as opposed to something that I have to somehow mentally grasp a particular thing, because I, I'm just thinking right now, I. I um, had a really good friend that I worked with um, that was mentally handicapped, and uh, um, and there there's just a lot of things that he'll never be able to grasp that are simple for us, and yet no less he could be incorporated just as deeply into the life of Jesus Christ, into the life of the Trinity, as I can, and it has nothing to do with. Uh, me, you know, being able to outwit him or out, out, 
understand him or any of these things because it's a relationship. It's a, it's a it's a penetration of the light of Christ and and in a an assumption of our person into him that goes beyond our ability to understand or comprehend. And I, I'm I'm wondering if that's maybe just one of the reasons why uh, Christ uses uh, the the mysteries to incorporate us and into into assume us and to, and to transfigure us much more than our ability to ever understand God because even in eternity I'm I'm assuming an eternal God I can never fully know uh, so I'm just wondering what you what your thoughts are on that well correct that's why the Catholic faith has such a staunch defense of life even when it is in a coma or even when it is severely mentally or physically handicapped, and even when it can't say a word within the womb, we realize another one of the great ironies, isn't it, of Protestant theology is that you're saved by grace alone, not by works, but it's this very Catholic theory of regenerational baptism, even without the assent of the person because they're in a state of inability to do it that testifies that God's grace is not limited or in any way dependent on the uh, uh, works of a human person. But that being put aside, you're exactly right. That accounts, number one, for the Catholic defense of absolutely all life, sentiment, uh, um, uh, conscious or not. And then secondly, Steve, as you're talking, connecting it to this image of water, uh, the image from Isaiah came to mind. I think it's Isaiah 51 or in that second Isaiah section there, um, where uh, Isaiah says, my word uh, descends from the, uh, like rain from the heavens, does my word descend to the face, faith of the earth, face of the earth and does not return to me without achieving the work for which it mm. was sent. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of the waters of baptism coming down from on high, purely gratuitously to us from heaven. They fall upon the earth, and then what do they do? They come down in order to fertilize and then to evaporate, to return to heaven. And you could almost view regenerational baptism, even for those unconscious persons who are baptized by the grace of God as coming down, enveloping them in the grace of God through the mystery of an instrumental matter of water, and then bringing, taking them back up with them to heaven so that they can be assumed, as it were, into the very life of God himself. And that's exactly why, uh, one of the reasons, as you're speaking, that, that water would be a most apt symbol of baptism because it has both a a descending uh, ability and an ascending ability. Mm, and yeah. all the sacraments of the Catholic Church are mm. sacraments of assumption. So they yep. they come down from on high, they 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 envelop the person all for the purpose of elevating the person and incorporating, assimilating and assuming them into the life of the Trinity. The early church fathers, one of their favorite phrases was, that which is not assumed is not healed. Translation, that which is not taken up into the life of the Trinity through the instruments of the mysteries of the body of Christ remains a dead object on the face of the earth. And uh, just one final comment, and then you can ask another question or tie this up if you need to, but you mentioned earlier that the resurrection appearances 
all have this non-recognition element of Jesus. And it's precisely because, as I was saying earlier for St. Paul, the resurrected Christ in his incorporative body, his body which is now identified with the mystery of the Eucharist, his body which is now identified with its entry point in sacramental baptism, his body which is now identified with the least of these brethren to whom you did an act of charitable love, his body now which is a corporate entity including all of those who are inserted in him by faith and baptism, that body for Paul is the new form of the incarnation. In other words, Jesus, the historical person in Nazareth, was but one version of the resurrected Christ who is both physical but also now far capable, far more capable than the historical Jesus of incorporating other fallen human persons into himself. And that's a, a mystery that was self-evident to Paul when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's that very same mystery that is hinted at in these resurrection narratives where the Jesus they're seeing is both the same as but infinitely greater than the Jesus they had known uh, in his uh, uh, historical existence. So the resurrected Christ is the Jesus in the fullness of time. It's the Omega Jesus appearing in history prior to the coming of the end. Amen. Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to leave off uh, there today, Father Phil. But as always, it's it's good to, to leave off um, at a spot where we leave our listeners and myself thinking and uh, led to uh, to prayer and to to contemplate these things. And um, I think, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. But uh, for our listeners, if you'd like to contact either myself or Father Phil with a question or uh, comment, you can reach us at Encounter the Trinity at gmail.com. And again, on our website, EncounteringTheTrinity.com, you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook, and you can find us on iTunes, as well as um, our email address is there, too. If you click on the About Us page, we've got a link to uh, the, the email to contact us. But um, uh, let's see, Father Phil, if you don't mind closing us out today with a prayer. Good, and let's use our, our doxology as, as we often do. Glory, Glory be to, to the, the Father, Father, and to and the, the Son, and, and to the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. As, as it was, was in the, the beginning, beginning is, is now, now and, and ever, ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen.